Welcome, everybody, to the 14th episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host, Manny. And I'm your host, Simon. Manny, what's going on? Not much, man. Just another Monday. A little rain in Nashville, a little thunder, but just kind of, you know, living the life. How you been, man? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. I actually just got back from a long weekend in Asheville, North Carolina for the first time. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. Actually, I caught a lot of that rain on the drive back, actually. Um, yeah, I had, it was my wedding anniversary this weekend. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, seven years, seven years. And that's seven years that everyone needs to feel sorry for my wife. for. <laughs> <laughs> After 14, 13 episodes, I'm sure you can relate now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had a wonderful weekend, actually. It was like a, we took a really long, fun road trip where... I didn't actually monopolize the music, which I usually do. Usually it's um, a lot of house music, Cardi Ray Jepsen on loop, and just weird podcasts, Chelsea Against the World podcast. Absolutely, on repeat, right? <laughs> um, but no, this time it was a bit more balanced. And um, yeah, it was a wonderful weekend. It's such a cool place. It's like a real European feel to the city. I had no preconceptions of what it was like at all. Um, you've been there before, right? Yeah, actually it was the first time I went there a couple of weeks ago as well. And it's just a very, very artsy, very cool, very laid back vibe of a city. It's also interesting as well. You know, it's not your prototypical Southern city. It's like more of like, I call it Portland of the South. You know, that's that's what it reminds me of. Um, Any any good breweries you go to? Yeah, well, there was this one called Wicked Weed, which was just, I had a stein of Pilsner and it was absolutely bloody massive and it was really nice. Um, And some of the best food I've eaten in a very long time actually went to this tapas place, which you recommended and then another another place that you recommended for some Indian street food on the Sunday night which was up there with some of the best Indian food I've ever eaten it was unbelievable that's big coming from England I mean that's for like the mecca of Indian food I think it's like the best Indian food even compared to India I think the England food Indian food in England is much better yeah exactly personally. well that's you know it's our national cuisine now isn't that's it right. so it's you know good old bit of cultural appropriation that's right of, saying that's us now um but yeah it was absolutely sensational it was like street food and it was like some really interesting recipes and yeah i had a really nice refreshing weekend and back it back in nashville today how yeah. was your weekend man? much better than mine i was on call this weekend oh. so it was just dealing with the uh ridiculousness of idiots in town getting her injured and having to deal with that but it was fine it's it was good it was a nice quiet weekend in, in that sense and then uh had a little uh Went to my buddy Kevin's house yesterday before work, and he had a bunch of people over. And he has this huge, massive outdoor pizza oven. And it was just like making fresh pies for everybody. Like he would make these random pies with like a white sauce and spinach and vegetables and stuff. Then he'd make like a different pie with just like mushrooms and then like, you know, your normal margarita pizza or whatever. And it was just, it was actually really cool. It was nice. It was good weather. A little bit of rain earlier, but after that, it was, it was really good. But, um, no, it was a nice little uh, appetizer to work. You nice. know, came back and then went to work. But did yeah, you go to, did you go to the game, the Nashville SC game on Saturday? I did not, but oh. what a game! I was able to watch it a little bits of it while at work. But Nashville SC, my goodness, Gary Ball, like <laughs> to another level, man, against the number one team in the West, and we just destroyed them. I watched the second. I managed to watch the second half of it actually from my hotel room, and I'm just really like really so impressed with how this team plays uh, for our english audience the national mls team are a recent recent uh, recently formed team yeah, three years ago, yeah. and they just have turned it on in the last few weeks and unbeaten in 10 now they've got the best player in the league he's better than Lionel messi that's right fuck messi it's all about Hadi Mukhtar, baby he's from germany and he's just unbelievable but it's not just him as well the whole the, the setup of the team is very very good the manager has just figured out how to be flexible with his strategy and his tactics to to win games, even when they're not playing well. And I'm just really impressed. Yeah, something that we didn't see this past year for us, right? The <laughs> tail end of the season for Chelsea. But no, was, you need a manager for that, I suppose. Yeah, he uh, basically was really, really incredible in switching. You know, typically Nashville used to always play a back three, but this year he sort of changed to a back four with this diamond midfield. And our player, Hani Mukhtar, is really, he like leads that midfield in the attacking position. And it's just been incredible seeing, you know, the change of pace, being able to play it wide to our two fast wingers, and then, you know, setting up um, the defensive shape too when they have to track back. It's actually really, really good. And it's actually really refreshing to see because they're just hitting passes. And, and, you know, it almost looks like prime Spain, I thought, you know, just yeah. like tick attack type football, just these beautiful passes in, in, in between the midfield and the wide players, and then finally progresses the ball into the box, and then we score. It's 
it's refreshing. Yeah, you know what as well? It's actually a really good atmosphere at the, the ground as well. I think this is, we'll talk about this in upcoming podcasts in terms of the National SC team, but it feels like a real grassroots club and the support is really great and it's loud. And I feel that the, the there's a bit of a stereotype in terms of the American audiences at the MLS that are kind of just there for the atmosphere, not really know what's going on in terms of the nuances of the game. I feel that's real ch- it's really like going changing. To, it's, it's like going to a Man City game, right? Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, I feel that's changing now. I feel that the crowd is reacting to what's happening, which is really nice to see. And like it's really fun. It's really good fun down there. Yeah, it was. It's actually was a very good weekend for um, for American soccer, not just locally but also internationally. Um, always nice to be Mexico in in a brawl, like a legit brawl on the field. That was unbelievable. I mean, it, you know, it, they're lucky that there was only two red cards, you know, given to us, even to them. I mean, it could have been easily three or four or five red cards just for the Mexican team. I mean, they lose it when they're down. They absolutely lose it, and they just mauled Weston McKinney and took his shirt off, and then. Uh, you know, it was just it was just ridiculous, ridiculous play by them. But just being able to win and beating them, you know, and hammering them, and basically for for our fans in England, anytime Mexico and U.S. play in the U.S., it's actually a home game for Mexico because there's so many um, you know Mexican nationals in the U.S. Yeah. as immigrants, and uh, they're able to go and support their team, which I think is great. You know, I, I love it when you have a huge multi uh, uh, cultural melting pot in this country, and seeing your national teams from home coming to the U.S. and be able to support them. I think it's awesome. But it legit is always an away game for the team, unless we're playing in Columbus. Yeah, that's like the only, <laughs> truly, the only home field advantage the U.S. men's national team can really? have against Mexico that's is so if, it's, if we're playing in Columbus. You know, if we're playing like in L.A. or Las Vegas or anywhere in Texas, it ends up being like an away game for us. But we sort of thrive in that chaos. You know, that's CONCACAF. It's just ridiculousness. And your boy, Balogun, you know, he saw the light, <laughs> came to America Scored a goal, won a medal, lifted it, was able to lift a trophy. The big, the big title of the nations, the league. nations You'll league. never win that. Exactly. <laughs> Got to lift a trophy. Can't say the same for our English players back home. It's been a while. That's it's true. been a real while. Um, yeah, I that I was a very strange experience watching that U.S. Mexico game for a number of reasons. Also, there was more people there for the U.S. Mexico game than it was at the end final against yeah. Canada, yeah. which was unbelievable to watch. And then. The the way that Mexico just threw their toys out of the pram when they knew the game was lost. I, I have to say I was a little bit disappointed in some of the American players' reactions because they really took the bait and like if it was a more important tournament and two of your like strongest starting eleven get sent off through a lack of discipline, whether they should have been sent off is another question, but they took the bait and they I feel that they really shouldn't have done that and Maybe that will come with more experience in in more international tournaments if the US play in those kind of games moving forward. But fair play, you won won the tournament and beat Canada pretty easily yesterday. Have to say, yeah, that was sort of a revenge game because they kind of knocked us out in World Cup qualifying. They won it, kind of won the group, and you know we were able to qualify for the World Cup in Qatar um, over us. Uh, so it was sort of this revenge game, and um, Pulisic played well against Mexico. That's the Pulisic that we were missing at Chelsea, you know? Take him out of a Chelsea shirt, he becomes the world's best footballer. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then against the Canada team, it just was like, I don't think, even without having Weston McKinney and Serena Dest, you saw some of the depth of the U.S. men's national team on display Much in the first than. half of the game, and you know, as much as we, we, we hate on Giorena and, and his family dynamics, what they did with Greg Barhalter, you know, and, and his firing or his being let go, he's a really good player he when he's healthy. Player. When he's healthy. It's interesting, actually, watching the U.S. team now, it is feels very different from watching it 10 years ago because obviously England played the U.S. in the 2010 World Cup when Rob Green did the howler, which I will never fucking forgive. I was in Vegas for that game. <laughs> oh my God, I could only imagine... Um, the standard of football that you have now compared to then, and you had some half decent players. You know, you had Landon Donovan, you had Clint Dempsey, who was he was a decent footballer. But I think that the quality of player that you've got in the squad now is much better than it used to be. And uh, you know, we were watching the U.S. England game in the World Cup together in Nashville, and I wasn't particularly confident that England were going to win that game. I know we didn't really have to, but. The U.S. are a tough team to beat, and in international football, that's three quarters of the battle. To be honest, like watching the current formation of the England team, moving on to to what England winning against North Macedonia seven nil today, which is, I just I'm so impressed with England. They have really come from a position where they really started off like the U.S. did with the young players a few years ago, where 
just make yourselves hard to beat. And international football is such a shit show that if you don't concede, you've got every chance to win the game. I mean, you saw what happened with Morocco in the World Cup. Just made it tight, made it very difficult to play against and you can get the victory. But now I think we're really seeing an evolution of England turning into a real quality team and the attacking players that we've got at disposal and their midfielders. Your midfielders are just ridiculous. We didn't even have Bellingham play today. Like, and the fact that you have to give Southgate credit for going and putting Trent Alexander-Arnold in centre midfield when Klopp has only just started doing that himself as an inverted right back. But oh, England could be very difficult to beat in the next European Championships, which we're effectively qualified for already now. Yeah, I, don't, I think you know, even if it's being hosted in Germany, I think England's are, England is probably the favourites for the Euros. My only issue is can they handle the pressure because they capitulated you know, at Wembley against Italy. If I think the, like we were talking about the pressure got to them. Will they be able to handle that pressure again with the expectations being so high in Germany? Maybe. I, I think I'm quite confident. I've never been confident about England, but you feel that these experiences that England have had in the last couple of tournaments, not just losing in the final against Italy, but also Kane blasting that penalty over. I feel that those experiences really count as a good building block for winning something. And every good team, before they win something massive, has to come very, very close. And I think England are on that trajectory. And I think this is the tournament where they think, in Southgate's tenure, I think we were probably head of schedule in 2018 when we got to the World Cup semi-final. We had fucking Ashley Young playing left-back and Deli Alley playing in midfield. 2021, probably... Again, we should have won that tournament. We were better than everyone else in that tournament. Yeah, I think if you look at your starting 11 versus Italy in that final, I don't think I would have interchanged any of the players no. or some other. Maybe just a goalkeeper, and that's about it. Buffon, yeah. maybe probably the only thing I would change. And it was Donnarumma, actually. Yeah. It was Donnarumma. Yeah, or sorry, Donnarumma, yeah. And I think Donnarumma, or Pickford didn't actually play a bad game. You know, no. he just you know he blocked a couple uh, penalty shots as well and, yeah. and, and at the end of the game. But I think... Top to bottom, I think England had a better squad. I think just tactically, Gary messed it up by, um, or you know, Southgate messed it up by making some tactical changes in the end of the game. Yeah, and even going back to the World Cup in December, I think we were a better, better team against France. Really, we were. And that's not just seeing that with my England goggles on, but I, we had the better chances. Kane obviously ballooned that penalty over, and the first goal was prevent. The both goals were preventable, and England had the better chances. And I just. I feel now that kind of heartbreak and experience of this this group of players can lead us to good things. And Bellingham going to Real Madrid, I just I fear for everyone else. <laughs> really, I do. I'm quite happy that he's ended up there. Um, but yeah, so that's the last international football and last football of this season, technically outside the MLS now. So we're now in the silly season of the transfer window being open. We've got a few minor updates nothing's really been solidified yet in terms of moves yeah no no official outgoings or incomings for chelsea but there's been a lot of chatter that a certain pif or certain you know uh country definitely not state-funded organization (laughs) state-funded is gonna basically bail us out and uh maybe take up a couple of our players and you know some modest fees but mainly just taking them off of our our, uh, our our books um you know latest is is that we have uh there's an agreement in principle with Koulibaly um with Mendy and with Ziyech Conte has already had his physical and is officially part of the Saudi league but those four players are being rumored heavily rumored actually uh to join the Saudi league next year and I know a lot of Chelsea fans are sort of ecstatic that they're kind of you know that, that we're able to I wouldn't call them deadwood maybe maybe a couple but you know these are players that are getting paid out incredible wages that are, that have been part of our squad and, and, and are, a lot of fans are happy that are going to Saudi Arabia, but I'm kind of like on the other spectrum. I just don't want to do business with the Saudi, with, with the Saudi league or with the government in general. Cause I just, I just hate it. The whole thing makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. Um, and if you're going back, it's nothing against the Saudi Arabian people. I think we should just put that in. Yeah, there. absolutely. This is the regime of the Saudi Royal family flexing their muscles and their financial muscles across the world to wash their reputation of what's happening. And we referred to this on the, a couple of pods ago. There's two, you, can, you can view it in two different ways. You can view it from the Chelsea perspective where you just black out every kind of 
outside moral, ethical issue about it where these players who we want to get rid of, who cost us an awful amount of money, who are a waste of space now, are going to be shipped out. It means we, we do financial business and that's that's positive from a Chelsea perspective. But then you're looking at from the kind of ethics point of view where the money that these guys have and the reputation that they have in terms of what they've done to their people, what they've done to the region, it's just really, really awful that they are now directly changing football in Europe. It's really, really... I, 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 I'm a little bit lost for words in terms of what's happening because I feel that this this issue, the horse has bolted on it years ago, really it has, in terms of you're looking at state ownership and from the, the Middle East in particular, if we're talking about you know culture yeah. and <laughs> the way that these states run their countries and what they do in terms of oppressing their people. Man City, I mean... It's not a million miles away, and they've been in our game now for over 10 years, and look at the success they've had. Don't even mention the fact they fucking cheated as well. Yeah. But this is... Any any Premier League supporting fan who thinks that Chelsea's the odd one out here in terms of the doing the business really needs a fucking reality check, I think. Because yeah. we've heard a lot from Arsenal supporters. Absolutely. <laughs> There's like rumors today that maybe Thomas Partey being sold to the Saudi league as well. So it's like, all right, come on, pot meets kettle. <laughs> you know, maybe he can do what he does normally in, in free reign in Saudi Arabia. Just want to make it clear that we definitely don't know what he does. Yeah, exactly. Allegations. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm with you, man. I, I think just having, I've, the Saudi Arabian uh, government and, and has been, you know, in, clawed with United States historically and you know even going back to 9-11 the, the a lot of the bombers were from Saudi Arabia and there was some investigation that maybe there was some funding of that and when the PGA tour sort of split with live when, when Saudi Arabia started funding a live tour the expert or the head of PGA was saying no we will never you know we're not going to be involved with the Saudi government because we spoke to the 9-11 family members and they made their case and we're not going to have any involvement with them and then what happened a year later, boom, they merge. Money talks. Yeah, It's the unfortunate circumstances we live in. When you give a player like N'Golo Kante, who I'm sure has a very, very good moral high ground and, and a good person, here's 100 million uh, pounds. Here's a, year. a year. Come to Saudi Arabia. You, you know, you're, you're not going to say no. You know, when you go to like these guys at Brooks Kevin, these golfers, when you give them this insane amount of money, Phil Mickelson, they're not going to say no. That's the unfortunate circumstances in sports and in like just in life. You throw a bunch of money at at, at any any individual or any cause, and it'll, and it'll shut it down. You know, and that's what we're seeing now with the sports washing. They're they're going to get the World Cup at some point. It's going to happen because FIFA is so corrupt. They'll accept the money. Yeah. And they'll, they'll accept it. Uh, you know, Formula One's already doing that. A lot of these races are already in the Middle East, in Bahrain, in Abu Dhabi, in Saudi Arabia. That's where all this money comes from. Yeah. And sports washing is at its apex right now, and it's going to just keep going up and up and up. Yeah, it's just, as you said, money talks, doesn't it? And there's just no way that you can, unless there is like real government intervention and real guidelines written into sports charters of an organizations in terms of the Premier League, FIFA, FIFA more importantly than anything else, and UEFA in terms of what these rich, beyond rich people can do, then really you, there's nothing we can do about it. And yeah. as you said, the money is already here. They're already money, the money is already in English football. And I just... It's really funny that as soon as Chelsea get involved, and this is a sidebar, because like, ethically I don't feel very comfortable about it, but it's already here. And I just love the fact that specifically Arsenal supporters have just put their fucking knickers in a twist about Chelsea selling our dead wood to these Saudi clubs. What so knickers in a twist is a very specific British phrase, by the way. So it's about your underwear turning inside out, in case anyone was yeah. <laughs> unsure about it. And they're just being whiny little bitches about it. And like they've gone on their ethical, ethical Premier League trophy win parade again. As soon as Chelsea do something, we'll just ignore the fact that Newcastle got bought out by the same group. 
but because it's Chelsea, they lose their shit about it and just. You are the club who plays in a ground called the Emirates with Visit Rwanda sponsoring your shirt. Just shut the fuck up, honestly. And it would be hilarious if they sold Thomas Partey to the to, to the Saudi League. To me, that's just like that ends your argument. That ends your moral high ground, you know. Yeah. And they make these arguments. Well, you know, the PIF is funding Clear Lake Capital, and I'm like, no, that's just all bull. You know. There may be some, but you know, semblance of how much money that's invested. But Clear Lake is an investment company. Yeah. You give your money to an investment company to make money. That's that's how it's done. And also, Clear Lake already passed the ownership like scrutiny yeah. in terms of like they had to prove where the funds were coming in from. So the argument is a non-starter anyway. They're just annoyed. They just let's just get to the crux of the argument here. They're annoyed that we're making off players that we're making money off players that we don't want. And our owners are smarter than theirs. They're going to get all their friends in the Guardian or the Times, write all these, you know, these articles of how terrible, how much is bullshit. Chelsea's getting all these, this dead weight off their books. No, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. We're, we're making deals. I don't like it. You don't like it. But it's happening with Saudi Arabia. And the, the finale of it is that we are saving a lot of money with these individuals going to Saudi Arabia. I have it right over here. Kulabali. 295,000 pounds a week. 295,000 pounds a week. All right? Ingola Kante, even though he's being sold for free, or he's signed for free, 290,000 pounds, which I think is, is fair for him. Yeah, that's deserved. Aubameyang, we all forgot that he's on our team. 160,000 pounds a week. Ziyech, 100,000 pounds a week. That's a lot of smiling. It's a lot of smiling on <laughs> 100, the bench. 100,000 smiles a week. Yeah. And, and Mendy, I can understand. And this is, this, is, this is actually for his own fault. He was actually offered a contract extension last year, and he refused to sign it because he wanted to get paid what Keppel was getting paid. So he's making 55,000 know, yeah. pounds a week. But that's like a total of 900,000 pounds a week that we're saving in wages, around 47 million pounds a year. Plus the transfer fees. Plus the transfer fee. I think we'll get, I think, a total around 60, 65 million total of those three players when they get transferred out of Arabia, which I think will help, you know, with this arbitrary June 30th deadline that people are all talking about. Which is It's just ridiculous, right? This, we have to sell by June 30th, you know? It's like some sort of, like, trailer of this new movie that's coming out. Again, this is, like, scaremongering stories against Chelsea. Really, there's, like, very little validity to that. And do you not think that our owners are smart enough to understand what they were doing in terms of the money they were paying for some of these players. You, whether you sp- spent it correctly or not is another issue, but they know what they're doing. These are very, very successful, very, very rich men. <laughs> yeah, and they make their billions you know, by knowing how to handle the money, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, I just thought about this as well. Arsenal fans are probably even more annoyed that we're about to fleece them for Kai Havertz as well. That's true. Well... Yeah, I mean, Jorginho, Kai, David Luiz, Willian. There's know. a new sleeper agent going That's in. That's right. <laughs> Too bad we couldn't send him Ziyech. I think they wanted Ziyech <laughs> before he signed with well, us. What are your ex. thoughts on the Havertz sale to Arsenal? Proposed Havertz sale to yeah. Arsenal. Um, listen, I think I'm the 10% Chelsea fan out there that actually wants Kai to stay. I think I know that we've talked about this and Simon and I actually have debates about this actually in the bar when watching the game, you know, I'm always pro Kai. He's always against Kai and we always go back and forth. And, and I, I still think Kai is a generational talent. I just don't think that we've utilized him how we should have utilized him. And that, and you can say that about any of the Chelsea players, right? You can say that about Mount, you can say that about Pulisic, you can say about, you know, any number of our players that have not performed well to their, to their standards. Right. I think I would like to see Kai stay, with Poch, I think Poch has that ability to take out, you know, to bring up these young, talented players and 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 make them into world class players at the European level. I think when you look at Kai, he doesn't look bad when he's playing for Germany. You know, he's always scoring a goal here, or there, assisting a goal here, or there. Like, but at Chelsea, he just looks like a depreciated asset because he's not plays played in this correct position. Now, mind you, there has to be some level of self reflection. Like, he also has to play well, right? Like, he's made some mistakes here and there. So I understand the argument that he's just a waste of space when he's on the pitch, but I think what I think the few times he was played in, you know, the correct position, you saw, you know, him actually do well. So I I understand. Listen, if he doesn't want to sign an extension, then you have to sell him no matter what. And I think that's what it's come down to. He doesn't want to extend. He only has one year left on his contract. You have to sell him. I'd love to see him stay. 
I understand why we're selling them. Now, do we want to sell them to our our rivals in London? I don't know. I'd rather him go to back to Germany at Bayern or you know go to Real Madrid. Which I think that, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to go to Arsenal. Do you want to hear my take on? Yeah, that? I do. Good fucking riddance. Honestly, I don't wish ill will towards any player unless he decides that he doesn't want to stay with us anymore and wants to go to Arsenal. That changes everything for me. I hate Arsenal more than everyone else, as you could probably tell. I don't think he's a generational talent, and this is nothing new. This is not just me reacting to this. I think he's a very good footballer. I don't think he's right for the Premier League. I don't think he's right for us. I don't think he's as good as everyone says he is. I haven't seen enough of that. I've seen flashes, but to me, brilliance and greatness is consistency. I don't see any consistency from him. I think he is much more suited to the Bundesliga. I think the Bundesliga is a much worse league, and that's why he looks better. He looks better in Europe against better, uh, worse defences. There's better defences in the Premier League. He's, and if we can get 70 million for him, I tell you he's not going to make Arsenal any better. I do not see it. Who's he going to take the place of? Is he going to play up front? I thought he wasn't a striker. So Jesus is better than him. Saka is better than him. Martinelli is better than him. So where are you going to play him? Midfield? Hmm, who's better? Odegaard? Yes. Is he going to play defensive mid like Saka or Partey? No. I don't see where he fits. And I'm laughing. Fuck him. He's a traitor. So do you, do you have that same mindset for other players that left Chelsea like David Luiz, Willian? No. Uh, even Jorginho? No, I don't. Because Kai did wonderful thing in winning the Champions League goal for us. Apart from that, I think his... Um, his Output has been mediocre. If you compare him to David Luiz, David Luiz played in the Champions League final on one leg when he busted his hamstring and we still won. And he was there for a long period of time and was successful with us and played exceptionally well. Jorginho, again, same as well. I think he was a really hard-working player who loved the club and really wanted it to work and worked in different systems. I, I, I feel... Mount as well. I feel that Mount has been brilliant for us, and he's. A, and it hurts to see him go, but he's going to Man United. He's not going to Arsenal. He knows he doesn't want to go to Arsenal. Kovacic going to Man City again, and I'm okay with it. It's fine. It's Arsenal. He do, he wants to leave us before he hits his peak because he wants to go play for Arsenal, and I hate it. I think he was told that if you're not signing an extension, you have to leave, and I think that's why he's making the decision to go to. Maybe he settled in London. He wants to just be in a team. In London, I would rather him be at Arsenal than at Tottenham. I, I, your hatred of Arsenal is like my hatred of Tottenham, you know. And so I, I, I can understand why why he wants to leave if he's told, hey, if you're not going to resign, we got we got to get some money out of you. You're not going to leave on the free. So maybe that's why. Hey, okay, I got to find a place to go. You know what? I'm actually uh, I, I'm disappointed in him that he wants to go to Arsenal. The, the end result of him going to Arsenal was not actually that disappointing because I don't think he's going to be that good for them. Yeah. And he's going to. He, they're going to spend a lot of money on yeah. him and we need that money. So there you yeah. go. I, I I actually, I you know, I think that he will have a position in their attacking midfield. I think with him and Odegaard playing up front with, you know, with Declan Rice as a, as the actual holding midfielder, I think I think he'll play well in that in that position with Jesus up top and Saka on the right and Martinelli on the left. I think it's going to actually work out well for him. And it, maybe, I don't know, I don't want it to work out for him at all, but I think I can see where... Ar- I hope he breaks both listen, his legs. Arteta is not... Listen, I'm joking, listen, I'm Arteta, yeah, we already felt the booze of the final last week, wishing ill on Kevin De Bruyne. <laughs> Mind you, uh, Arteta is not, like, listen, Arteta is not a bad coach. I think if Arteta wants him, I think he has a plan for him. Because Arteta really wants him. I'm sure he does. But I, you know? I saw a really good article on this the other day saying that whatever gain he gives Arsenal is going to be marginal. Yeah, no, I I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. I can see that, that argument for sure. Um, I just, I really think that we as a club, first of all, did him a disservice by having fucking 20 managers coming in and out and nobody had a, you know, a, a structure for Kyle, Tuchel did not play Kyle Everton's in his position. Tuchel played him as as a striker. That's not Kyle's position in a, in a three four three or three five two. All right, that that doesn't work. Maybe Frank Lampard the first time tried to play him with Timo Werner and Mount on the right it still didn't work. The only time they actually had a chance to play Kyle in his proper position was when we had Lukaku just for that one year. But Tuchel was a coach. He was adamant in his three four three position. I disagree on this. I feel that he's been given so much opportunity. And 
everyone says he, he's a better behind the strike. I never saw that. I never saw that. Like, marginally better, maybe. But this is the, going back to the point of like a generational talent. A generational talent is able to adapt. So is Mount a generational talent? No, he's not. Okay. No, he's not. Which Chelsea player on the current squad do you think is a generational talent? It's a very good question. Uh, Thiago Silva, maybe. Levi Colwell, maybe. I think the answer's in defence. Enzo. Enzo, yeah. Enzo, Enzo, I think, is. Yeah, I agree. I think he is a generational talent. Uh, I don't think there's many others. Yeah. I think it's impossible to say. I think the reason why Thiago Silva is... Kante. He's not on our team anymore. Well, I mean, just saying. Yeah, yeah. Kante, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. If he was still on the team, yeah. Like, this builds onto our next conversation. But, yeah, absolutely. If you look at Thiago Silva, the way that he has adapted into different leagues, his age, different systems, different managers, we still judge him by the same standards, and he has been able to adapt. I don't think there's anyone else besides Enzo. Yeah, I think you make a good argument. But I'm going to stick to my guns. Fair enough. We're not going to ground we'll, everything. We'll, we'll, we'll see next year. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he, he gets asked, they'll relegate Exactly. Maybe they'll, they'll pick up the uh, you know the morality, uh, morality Premier League trophy yeah. again. They can yeah, do the open top bus, bus parade with the invisible morality trophy. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. At least we uh, mutually uh, decisioned him. So he's, he's going to be there. So for our next segment... We thought it'd be quite fun to do our favourite Chelsea 11s uh, of all time. So this can be from any generation. And I think we'll set a couple of ground rules until, in terms of what we're doing. So this can be played for any player that we consider a favourite. So they don't statistically have to be the best. They can be just the, the player that we've enjoyed watching the most. I think that's what we want, want in there. Yeah, because I agree. I don't think we're too incredibly data-driven people no so uh, when, not, when it comes to football I'm sure as a, as a doctor you probably are that's right <laughs> I don't know not this weekend yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do is our 1 to 11 and then we've because we, there was some real close calls on some of the positions we're going to do four substitutes as well and they can be any position any so, position yeah so we're going to whiz through it and that I'm sure there's going to be some alignment on here. And I think I think 80% of our team will probably be the same, you yeah. know, and I think there's going to be little bits of pieces here and there that we sort of mutually decision a player, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. to be on the bench or not, you know, or it could be starting or not even on the squad at all. Just 11 Kai Havertz. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the, what form, formation are you going to set your tips? I'm doing a 4 three, 3 Okay, same as well. Yeah. So this should be quite good. Okay, so. Head coach Frank Lampard. <laughs> We didn't think about that. Who would be your uh, all-time? Josie. Josie would be my coach. Okay. So, Jose yeah. Mourinho. I think you have to. It has to be him. It, it was close between, like, in terms of longevity, multiple times. I think Carlo Ancelotti was, would be up I there wish he had yeah, more time. Yeah. Man, he that was, was, that was that a was mistake by That was the most fun part. season ever to watch, I think. So, number one in goal. I think we both agree. Thibaut Courtois. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. It has, it has to be Peter Cech. I yeah. mean, getting him for seven million from Ren, and then the amount of hardware he's won, and just was a pinnacle, pinnacle in our in our CL title win, also all of our pre league, Premier League champions as well. Yeah, he's just Chelsea's greatest ever goalkeeper, and he and took, he went to Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. exactly, Agent Peter. <laughs> but the thing is, he did everything for us, yeah, and was know. the best in the world. He was the best goalkeeper in the world for a long time. Absolutely. And, he was just a leader on and off the pitch as well. Like, I think you read some of the stuff that went on in that dressing room when he was in there with Drogba and a few of the others, and he was just just as much a leader as all the others. And also, I think you know he had the position, the administration, you know, after he left Arsenal with, with here at Chelsea before we got sold and helped with the transition with Todd. He was also really big on convincing Roman to get out of the Super League. Yeah, yeah. I think, and so he, you know, he loves the club. I think he, if if the club was not sold, I think he'd still be part. Uh, in the front office yeah, on the day-to-day uh, basis making decisions. And um, I think any Chelsea 11, he's probably has to be in there no matter what in the goal. It's interesting you mentioned Courtois because there was a period of time where I thought to myself he could be just as good. But the way that his personality is and the way he just ruined it means he could never do it. Because if, you, like, if you're trying to viewing it from a kind of objective point of view, a couple of seasons where he was in goal where he won the league for us, he was unbelievable. Yeah, But Czech... Is just he's Czech. Uh, he's the best of all time. Yeah, left back, uh, Ashley Cole, same as well. Yeah, just again, left Arsenal, came to us and won everything. Just yeah. what a legend! And man, he also was really, really um, a pinnacle part of that team in 2012. When we won the Champions yeah. League. We, you know, played every game throughout 
uh, the season was just incredible. He also used to man mark Cristiano Ronaldo oh, out of yeah. every game as and well. And he was so good even moving forward, you know. Yeah. Generation that's a generation yeah. of talent. Yeah. Um, who are your two centre backs? Uh John Terry. I think we both uh have to say, you know, he with the highest scoring defensive player for Chelsea all time. Yeah. You know, scored the most goals. Um, leader, legend. You know, he has a banner up there at the bridge. Uh I really wish that, you know, it would have ended a little bit better. I know he left after during Antonio Conte's year and he yeah. had the sending off. And I wish, um, I really want him, I want to see him back at Chelsea and maybe a managerial role on, on not, you know, not head coach at some point, but like, you know, assistant coach or something like that in the future. I think he just loves the club. You see him on social media, always commenting about the club and then, yeah. um, just was a, a huge sticking point during Roman's Chelsea. Yeah. I think I would have been more in favor of him coming in than Lampard, to be honest. Yeah. Because I feel that, in that situation, I feel he's he's kind of earned his stripes in terms of his coaching being a number two at a lot of places, and I think maybe it's a lot of pressure coming in. But I think he would have done a better. Maybe job. he maybe he'll, he'll probably get a head coaching job in the championship at some point, and then kind of make his way up to a well, we are a mid league team right now. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who's your other centre back? Uh, let's see, uh, Desai. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. I've gone for the other French 1998 winning centre back for Chelsea, uh, for Chelsea and France, which is Frank Leboeuf. My so I I thought they were both really good together. They were excellent. Yeah, they were. If we're going back to the late 90s, early 2000s, in terms of Chelsea, then they were part of the exciting defensive partnership. I mean, we didn't win the league, but we won trophies under them. And Leboeuf. One of my first ever Chelsea shirts is a Frank Leboeuf shirt with the autoglass, the 97-98 one, which is just a beautiful shirt. And I met him on the street in London once and he was the, the nicest guy in the world. And but like, not just taking that personal bias out of it. He <laughs> was an exceptional footballer, not just a good defender, but the way he could spread long passes and had an unbelievable shot on him. Oh, he was amazing. And he uh, is actually one of the few pundits I actually can listen to on the ESPN oh. FC. You know, we talk about someone who loves the club. Yeah. He does. Like, yeah. he, he, you could see him visibly hurt with what was happening last season. Absolutely. What was going on. I just he, remember Desai's goal in 2003, you know, getting Chelsea into the uh, Champions League. I was at that game. Were you at the game? That was atmosphere was electric. His goal and then Gronkyard's. Yeah. Oh, wow. What? That was unbelievable. Yeah. Crackling. I think I think we can go with either. I I prefer to say it, but I think Frank LeBeouf is a really really good yeah. second. Who's your right back? So I was I was uh, torn about this. Um, I went for Ivanovic at the end, but I had uh, you know I have the other person on my bench. I don't want to talk about that right now. But yeah. um, Ivanovic, I think, also was not just a great right back in terms of defense, but also scored. Yeah. You know, had had the game winner in, in the Europa final in 2013. Um, I think he was a solid, you didn't have, the first couple of years at Chelsea was kind of, you know, difficult for him. But after that, he was just a stalemate at that right back position. And it was really, really pinnacle in our PL, PL winning games or PL yeah. winning seasons. He was unbelievable player. Mine is Cesar. Okay. So that was, yeah. Uh, but you take the last year and a, a bit out of it. Honestly, I think you can put him alongside John Terry in terms of uh, technical excellence in defense. And he's won everything club captain, I think he sacrificed himself. Whether, whether his performances have been good enough this year or not, that's a kind of a different question. He's The club wanted him to stay on because to offer that kind of leadership in the locker room and whether his performance has been good or not, I think that he loves Chelsea and he's just been an incredible yeah. player. Well, we should sign for about seven million as yeah, well. Absolutely. I think for me it was more recency bias, you know, just from the last couple of seasons. But again... Josie always said he wanted a squad of 11 Aspilicuetas, and he'd be happy with that, I think. I mean, he took Ashley Cole out of the team playing in yeah. his incorrect position. Exactly, inverted. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, even in the CL final, like, this guy looked like he was a 20-year-old out there yeah. against Man City. He was tracking back, was holding Sterling to bay when Reese was playing two up. And this guy, another person who's won everything with Chelsea yeah. as well. So who have you got as defensive midfielder? Yeah, so... Um, I'd have to say it have to be uh, Makalele. I think there's two options there, and I've gone for the other one. Yeah, so that, that I was also torn. The other person's on my yeah. uh, on so, my bench. Actually, well, maybe we're not talking the same person, Michael Essien. Oh, so I have I have both of them playing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So Michael Essien for me, I think Makalele made that position. We're talking about enjoyment of watching player play. Michael Essien for me was the best, one of the best midfielders I've ever seen. The best Ghanaian player of all time. And 
some of the goals he scored, that rocket against Arsenal. I was at the Champions League game where he scored that volley against Barcelona. And I don't think I've ever seen a better goal in the flesh. It was just, he was a machine, like strong as an ox, technically amazing on the ball. And just, what's the definite, what's the, what's the phrase in America? Clutch? Clutch. Yeah. Did it in the big moments and just a wonderful player to watch. So I think Mike Lely was like the one that created the defensive mid role. It was named after him. It was a role that we kind of equate N'Golo Kante to now. Um, Pinnacle, important in our two CL, our two Premier League wins in 0506. And I think he's, to me, he's, he's, he's going to be my defensive mid. Awesome. So who are your other two midfielders flanking? Well, I think Frank Lampard's going to be advancing for sure, and Essien is my other person. Interesting. Yeah, so, it's more defensive, and then because I have pretty good attacking players, and so yeah, I mean, this is the first time. Mine's I'm more of like a four-two-three-one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mine's not like a typical four-three-three. <laughs> yeah. So I think we've berated him enough this season. Yeah, I feel that we need to really give Frank Lampard his proper proper send-off. Proper send-off on the <laughs> no. Chelsea Gets a World so podcast. He just. I remember when we signed him in 2001, people were a little bit unsure and he wasn't great that first season, but uh, the ultimate professional and just, you think about goal scoring midfielders, really, I've never seen anything like it. He would just be there all the time and just clinical, composed and just drove the team forward all the time. When Terry wasn't there, he was just... Having him as a vice captain is just nuts. And him in the 2012 final with Terry not being able to start yeah, that yeah. game was just like, you know, he in the new the, camp as well. The, yeah, brought the energy on the pitch. Uh, was always there for the free kicks. Was always there to drive the, the the play forward, not just in the attacking sense, but also you know finding the wide players and then his leadership in the locker room. Yeah, you know, those are the, the that, that's what this Chelsea team is lacking: the Lampards, the Terrys, the Drogbas in the locker room, because we have a bunch of you know millennials in the locker room right yeah, now yeah. that just have no sort of self-interest yeah and I think this is the thing as well with Lampard more than Terry and Drogba and a few other players I think he symbolized Chelsea in that period of time I remember when I was at university and we were winning the, the league those two seasons my first and second year people used to, the opposition fans used to hate him more than everyone else and I think that made him more focused and more dr- driven and he just People used to despise Lampard so much and just, I think he built that affection with the Chelsea sports, especially coming from West Ham as well. I think he's just, the, I mean, he's Chelsea's record goal scorer. What more can you say? And he's a midfielder. That's just, it just it speaks for itself and what a legend. And Essien, we've talked about Essien. Yeah. My other midfielder is N'Golo Kante. Yeah, I so I was torn on that one, but yeah. Yeah, I think, especially now, it just, it feels like the right time for him to go doesn't mean it hurts any less just again if you're talking about transformative players who is just completely unique and the most fun to watch the first season that we signed him from Leicester I just I've never seen anything like it it's like having an extra man in midfield all the time <laughs> four lungs him, four lungs yeah, I mean just in the Champions to... League final just unbelievable he was able to cover the pitch and was incredible in that PL not just for our team but even for Leicester and um, I think the only re- one of the reasons why Leicester City won that won the league that year was because of N'Golo Conte. It was, it was definitely him. Um, and and drink water also. Let's not forget <laughs> that. <laughs> Forty million well spent That's on right. that one. Uh, no, I, I think it, uh, to me it was sort of a sad ending to his career, not being able to stay healthy here at Chelsea, especially this past year. We thought that you know the second half of the season with having a healthy N'Golo Conte was going to help us out, but you know tactically we just were not there, and I think. I think he's finished. Yeah, I, I think the injury is so bad that he had that it just destroyed him. Yeah, and and not just in the CL final against Man City, but even in the Real Madrid in the semifinal legs, he was everywhere, everywhere. You know, I think he was one that set up that Christian Pulisic goal for us in in, in the first uh, yeah. first leg, and was able to just create so many opportunities on the counter, and which just anytime a ball would be there for the winning, he'd get it. He'd tackle, he'd get the ball back. If he lost the ball, he'd he'd, he'd you know run a thousand yards to get it back. No, you know, was never tired. I mean, great, great midfielder, but he's on my bench. <laughs> <laughs> Not good enough. Yeah. Um, so, who have you got in your front three? Again, I think I think this is going to be very similar. Yeah, I but think, I think with this one outlier, possibly. So Zola is on my wing. Um, uh, We've gone for exactly the same front. Three, Drogba, 
and and then Hazard. Yeah, it's literally okay. the same front same three. three. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Zola was just let's start with Zola. I think he was it's a real symbol in the nineties in terms of the uh, a top foreign talent coming to England for and to Chelsea for the first time, and he was just just unbelievable to watch. And I was very lucky to see him in the flesh a lot, and he was just a magician just a real magician like he does he i don't think it'd be really interested to see if he would make it in the modern game because he was never that athletic but he was just technically just unbelievable and just impossible to mark out of a game yeah and that 0203 season when he had just 14 goals is just unstoppable chelsea player of the year twice i think and um i would have loved to see him also come back to Chelsea he did with Antonio Conte oh, as a, sorry he was yeah, sorry. Actually, sorry yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I would have liked to see him sort of stay on in some capacity another individual I think was just a uh, good on and off the pitch and also a huge Chelsea legend and continues to support the squad as well yeah for sure so Eden Hazard yeah I, I think to me if there if there were if, there, if Chelsea ever needed a goal in a game he would get it for you he was able to create something out of nothing. There were times, I think it was during sorry season, even the year after where we were, sorry season because he left that year, where we were just like left and dead, but he would just miraculously create a goal like against West Ham. He would just zigzag their defense and scored, a, scored an incredible goal. I think he was the reason why we won the Europa League title that year against Arsenal in Baku. I mean, he was just all over the pitch. And, and to me, I, I, it's a sad ending to his career you know, him getting those injuries at Real Madrid, I think, I, I really wish, I think looking back at he would probably want to stay, you know, not knowing now what he's gone through. Um, but that that year for sorry, I thought he was one of the best players in the Premier League. For sure. And I think actually, admittedly, I think that I didn't appreciate him enough when we had him. I think that he's so good that he made me think maybe we were better than we were because his impact on our team would just he was just a sole attacking what was your through. what was your favorite hazard goal the arsenal one where he yeah. ran it around the and entire just, team threw off oh, actually, i don't know the, the goal at anfield where he ran it around the players yeah. in the carab i think the magnitude of the couple, game yeah. i think the magnitude magnitude of the game where we won the league that season where arsenal players were literally like he was just shrugging them off and just ran it from the halfway line it's just genius like to, to no, me he didn't even try he just he just effortless Mine had to be at the bow of the bridge when you scored the goal. And I think, you know, one less for the league. To me, that I, I remember that game vividly. And to me, that was my favorite Hazard goal. But close second was the one against Arsenal when he yeah. just chugged off Coquelin and half the, half the Arsenal back four and scored it's against Czech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've gone for the king yeah. up front. There, no Chelsea 11 is, I mean, the, the I think a striker, striker, King Didier Drogba, to me, I think is outside of Lampard the second best player I think in Chelsea history. So to me, he's my favorite Chelsea player ever, and I think he's the greatest Chelsea player ever. He's he's the first person. Well, I not watched, but I listened to the game in Uganda when he scored two goals against Arsenal. To me, that that's what made me a Chelsea fan. Yeah, this guy. I mean, and the kids all in Uganda, the refugee camps are huge, huge Didier Drogba fans. And to me, just you know what he's done off the pitch for his home country and also what he's done on the pitch for Chelsea is just a prototypical winner. Yeah, I think this is the... He has set the benchmark for every Chelsea striker that's ever come in. Like, even... I think if you look at the strikers we've had since then, Diego Costa is the only one that people have said that he could probably lace his boots. I think it's a real testament to how impactful he was for us. He was just scoring every final and he just was a leader a leader all the time and you just felt that with him on the pitch we would win all the time <laughs> which is like Lampard and Terry had that leadership quality and Czech as well in terms of being the ones the role models in the team but Didier was just all the time he would score in the big moments and that is something you can't quantify in my mind you can't and no matter how many players you bring in with the same quality and the skill set that leadership element in those big games and the taking the game by the scruff of the neck and actually stepping up. Just, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like it again. So let's move on to our benches. So we'll whiz through these. Well, let's go for the ones that we've already said. Yeah. For me, um, Dave, Cesar Aspilicueta is on my yeah. bench and Golo Conte is on my bench as well. Yeah. Uh, Claude McAlealy and 
I think, yeah, that's the only one that we've repeated, actually. So I've got three new ones. So who are your other ones? Uh, I have Alan Hudson. And uh, for me, uh, Ron Harris is the youth player, um, one of the best defenders there in the 70s. You know, I had to go back and watch a couple of his games when I was like a Chelsea fan growing up. Or not growing up, but when I had a Chelsea fan since 2005. <laughs> Were uh, they playing then? Exactly. Uh, he was probably on his walker at that point out there. Uh, but no, to me, um, this is one of the biggest defenders of his era. Uh, 19 seasons he played for Chelsea. Was the first captain to lift the FA Cup uh, for the club in 69-70. To me, he has to be one of the members, you have to, one of the guys you have to name on the bench. Okay. For me, I'm going for players that I've watched. So... The most recent one is Thiago Silva. Genuinely, I love watching him play. I think when we talked about the kind of generational talent, I think he is one. And the fact that he's come at the twilight of his career and still been our best player or one of our best players for every year that he's been here. I love it. Um, Got for Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank on the bench as well. I think before Drogba, Hasselbank was our striker and he was just unbelievable. He was unbelievable. His goal record was sensational. He would score... If you've never watched it, go back and watch the Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank hat-trick against Tottenham in 2002. It's the best hat-trick I've ever seen. Really the best hat-trick. Right foot, left foot, header, and from about 25 yards out on the, the the shots as well. And then my final, final substitute is Dennis Wise. My first ever Chelsea shirt when I was a kid was with that really ugly orange and grey one. And I had Dennis Wise on the back. I think it was 1995, I think it was. Um, he was just in that fun period of the 90s and early 2000s he was just a wonderful wonderful leader um and was just really fun to watch and he used to drive the opponents mental as well they would hate him so that is my substitute bench and that is our greatest of the heavens tells you sort of the drop off that we have in our on our starting 11 to what we have currently outside of Thiago Silva yeah I think there's a there's obviously a lot of young talent on this team but we're missing the key generational talents that we talked about earlier and the key players that can just change a game. Yep. And that's the benchmark. That's the new Chelsea generation has to follow. Well, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening again. If you have the time, please join us on all social media platforms. You can again, find us on Instagram and on Twitter. We are CATW podcast that's CATW podcast on Twitter and Instagram and again if you have any questions comments or suggestions about next podcast materials for the summer please email us at podcast CATW at gmail.com that's podcast CATW at gmail.com and uh, once again if you would like to give us a five-star review we'd really appreciate it uh, we really want to get to as more as many people as we possibly can and uh, thank you so much for listening in keep the faith I hope that you enjoy our Chelsea greatest 11s and uh, if you've got any suggestions of who we should switch it up please do send us an email but uh, thank you so much and we'll see you next time <laughs>